We're in this series on unsung heroes, and I want to just say thank you to Jay for stepping in on 24 hours notice. I got a little cold or something last week, and um, I feel nearly fully recovered. And uh, I thank Jay for introducing John the Baptist and sharing the identity of John the Baptist and his call to be a herald of Jesus Christ. I've been intrigued with the character of John the Baptist because I think he has a kind of faith and life and calling that is just remarkable. And there is something stated in the New Testament by the very words of Jesus about John the Baptist where Jesus gives to John the Baptist some extraordinary praise and then he implicates anyone else who is a part of the kingdom of God subsequent to John in an extraordinary fashion. So if you're a follower of Jesus today and you love him, you are in the flow of the statement Jesus makes, which is absolutely remarkable. He's talking to you when he says in verse 11 of Matthew 11, Truly I say to you, I mean earnestly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. And those who are least in the kingdom of heaven are greater than he is. How many of you believe the words of Jesus? Really? Look at that statement. There has not arisen in all of human history anyone greater born of women than John the Baptist. Abraham, Moses, David, Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, no one greater than John the Baptist, and yet the least in the kingdom of heaven entering subsequent to John the Baptist is greater than John the Baptist. Is that not remarkable? That means you. Now we have to understand what the point of comparison is, and that's what I hope to point out to you. But to get to it, we need to follow the flow. So if you have your Bible, maybe I didn't tell you, Matthew 11 is where I am. Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to look at two things in this text as we flow through it. One is the disorienting doubt that John the Baptist had, and then the amazing commendation that Jesus gives to John the Baptist. From Jay's um, sermon last week, we saw that John the Baptist was called at an early age in the womb to be the forerunner to Jesus. And his mission was to announce to the world who Jesus was. And <clears throat> he had this identity that he was going to try to live out. And um, as you get to Matthew 11, verse 2, John is in prison. Verse 2 says, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of, Christ, of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one 
who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, this is amazing that John spent his whole childhood studying the Scriptures. He studied all of the Old Testament, and he knew it, and then he lived in the wilderness, and in the wilderness, God ministered to him and spoke to him, and then he entered into the land of Palestine to announce Jesus, the coming Messiah. But what had happened since last week and the introduction of John and today is John is now in prison. And he's in prison having second thoughts about the whole mission of introducing Jesus to the world. I love that the Bible is honest about John the Baptist, the one of whom Jesus said there's never been a greater man born of women ever in the world than John the Baptist. And John is in prison saying, is this stuff really true? Have you ever said that to God? Have you ever been in a period of doubt where you've wondered whether or not God was, was worthy to be trusted? This was John the Baptist. John who had already been preaching and throngs of people had come to him and were being baptized by him. And he was seeing all the people now leaving him and going to Jesus, but he ends up in prison for the work that he did, and from prison, he's asking the question, Jesus, are you really the Christ? Are you the promised one that I've been telling people about? In fact, one of the places that we have recorded for us in the Bible is Luke chapter 3 and verse 16, where John records these words. He answered all the people and saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. And the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And, look at this next line, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This had been the message of John the Baptist. Now he's in prison, and he's saying, are you, st are you the Christ? He was hearing all these things about Jesus, but what was missing from Jesus? He, I think John's in prison saying, where's the fire? I see you doing all these good things, but where's the fire that you're going to bring? Uh, you're going to bring judgment. Remember, John the Baptist enters into the world in the Gospels after 400 years of silence from the end of the Old Testament in Malachi to the entrance of John the Baptist, there had been no word from God for 400 years. I thought about leaving four minutes of silence, but you'd be awkward. It, it would be awkward to have 40 seconds of silence. We're not used to silence. But imagine being in John's sandals and there had been 400 years without a word from God, John shows up, and he is in this unique position of holding all of the Old Testament prophecies and then being in time at the very moment of Christ's birth and life and pronouncement, and Jesus comes on the scene, and John is saying, there's one coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit of God. And he's got a winnowing fork in his hand. And he is going to take the wheat 
And this is an analogy that there's going to be a harvest of people who are going to come and follow Jesus. And then the winnowing fork takes the, the grain and throws it up in the air, and the wheat is heavy enough to fall back to the threshing floor, but hopefully the wind as it blows removes the chaff from it. And pretty soon as you do that, there's a pile of grain and a pile of chaff. And the chaff has its necessary ending that it's taken out and burned. And what is in John's mind is that when the Christ comes, he is going to bring judgment. But he's in prison. And he's asking, what's going on? And I think he's disappointed with God. And I would love to speak to every every person especially who's under 25 today. That we have a vision of what we think God is going to do and then he doesn't do it the way we think he's going to do it. And we start asking questions and get disoriented and we get disappointed with God. And I think John is languishing in prison, disappointed with God that he didn't do what John thought he was going to do. Well, Jesus has an answer to him. It's in verse 4. Jesus answered those who John had sent to find out, are you really the Christ? And Jesus says to them in verse 4, go tell John that what you hear and see, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And, let's read the last line together, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Oh, wow. You know, in Boulder, sometimes they read out loud. Come on with me. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This is the heart of the text here. If you're disappointed with God, Jesus is saying, blessed is the one who's not disappointed in me. And what's he doing? I think John knew absolutely, and if you want to write this down, these two uh, these several manifestations of the coming kingdom that the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and uh, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Those come from Isaiah 35 and 61, and those are stated very clearly there that the Old Testament prophecy pr promised that when the Messiah would come, Isaiah 35, 5, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, and the lame shall leap like a deer. And in Isaiah 61, the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. And I, John would have known that. So Jesus is saying, go tell John that the very prophecies that Isaiah made hundreds of years ago are coming true. These are the beautiful manifestations of the kingdom of God coming. But if you're willing to look at those two texts, Isaiah 35 and 61, you will also see there a line from 35, behold, your God will come with vengeance and recompense the verse just before the blind will see. And in chapter 61, the day of vengeance of our God is there, but Jesus doesn't include it here, does he? And John knows that Jesus doesn't include a day of vengeance 
And Jesus knows that John knows that Jesus hasn't included it. And he's disappointed that it's not included in that. Why isn't the day of vengeance here? And I think Jesus is saying to John's disciples as he sends them back, go tell John that the kingdom is here, but not in its fullness. That the kingdom is already inaugurated, but not in its fullness. And John, John knows that there's some beautiful things that are happening because Jesus is in the world. But the one thing that John was looking forward to the most was the cataclysmic judgment of God when Jesus will make all things right. And he's not making all things right because John's in prison. You're with me, right? So you think, why, why doesn't John see all of this? Because Jesus is saying, John, just hold on. You don't see the whole picture yet. These things are happening, but blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This is where I want to lean into every young person who's in the room. When you came to Christ as a young person, you know, it was very simple, and all we said was, God said it, I believe it, amen, right? And then you go through life and you realize, wow, I expected God to operate differently. And I'm disappointed that things didn't work out. And I, I don't yet have a big picture of what God is doing. And we won't ever know fully until we are in heaven with him, the full picture. But John is struggling with a lack of information about everything that God was up to there. But I think Jesus wants him to know, hey, the kingdom is here, and it's coming slowly. It's coming like, like yeast that's going to grow and expand, like seed that's planted in the ground but doesn't bear fruit right away. It's already here, but it's not here all the way. So hang in there, John. Don't give up. And I just want to say to you, if you've been disappointed by God because you didn't think God worked out things together the way you thought they were going to be. I would just say, hang in there. Blessed is the one. Happy is the person who's not offended because of Jesus. Well, the text goes on, and then this is where Jesus gives some extraordinary commendation. Even though John is doubting in prison, Jesus is going to say something extraordinary about John the Baptist. Now, maybe we should stop right there. Because I'll bet you in this moment, as the disciples of John the Baptist here go tell John this, they go away, I wonder if the rest of the crowd was saying, can you believe John the Baptist is doubting? He was chosen by God from his mother's womb, and maybe the crowd was murmuring about John the Baptist. So Jesus enters in, and he defends John. He bring, gives him some really awesome Commendation, verse 7, as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What's the answer to that? No. A reed shaken by the wind is just a little spiny thing that, you know, just goes wherever the wind blows. Is that what John the Baptist is? No way. John was a straight shooter. 
John the Baptist said to people, you brood of vipers, who told you to repent of the wrath to come? Repent and bring forth the fruits of repentance. In fact, he's in prison. If you don't know it, you can look at Matthew chapter 14 because he said to Herod, you should not have divorced your wife. You should not have seduced your brother's wife and married her. Who says that? Who calls out the rulers and says, your marriage to your brother's wife is illicit, immoral, and illegal? That's why he's in prison, by the way. So is he a reed? Did you go out to see a reed that would just say whatever people wanted him to say? No way. Next question is, did you go out, what did you go out to the wilderness to see? Did you see a man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are king's houses. Did you see a man who was living the good life in the ministry with fine suits and slick hair and diamond rings and private jets and TV contracts? You get where I'm going? Okay. Did, is that what John was? No way. He wore a leather skirt and had locusts in his teeth. He was so Spartan. He was, a, he was just a, a raw dude who believed God, lived in the wilderness, and said what God told him to say. He was not a soft, finely dressed preacher. And he said what God wanted him to say. And people were going out to see him. Is this a little parenthesis? The church needs to say what God wants to be said. And not fix what we say to fit the finely dressed world. I hope you can hear that. The world needs what God says because it's already saying its message when the church is an echo of the world it's nothing John the Baptist was not a reed he was not a finely dressed orator what did you go out to see it continues next I think that's where I'm going yeah, if we go to nine, what did you go out to see? You saw a prophet. I say, yes. A prophet? Yes. And more than a prophet. He is the one of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. That's Malachi 3.1. Did you go out to see a prophet? You sure did. But he's more than a prophet, Jesus says. Because it is said of John the Baptist that he would prepare the way of the Messiah. He was going to be the herald, the forerunner. He's more than any other prophet. He's greater than any other prophet because he was the one who would be in time preparing the way for the Messiah, the Christ. And John was in the particular space in time where he could say, there he is. 
Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John had this unique position in the history of the world of being a contemporary of Jesus and being able to point to him and say, he is the Christ. And it is that comparison that sets John above every other prophet or spokesman for God anywhere else in the Old Testament and why Jesus can say that. He's greater than the prophets because there was a prophecy about him. In Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5, the last words of the Old Testament say, Behold, I will send you Elijah, a prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land. That's the last word of the Old Testament. And then when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John come, it's John the Baptist who is that prophet. He's that one. Now all the prophets that came before, are you still with me? Okay. Not totally convincing, but <laughs> every prophet who came before John the Baptist didn't always know what they were prophesying about. They didn't understand some of the things that they wrote down and God allowed them to write. But John the Baptist knew his role. He's got this moment of doubt now. But all of the Old Testament prophets were simply looking forward. We're not going to put it on the screen, but you can look in your own study that in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, um, 9, 10, 11, and 12, it sort of indicates that the Old Testament prophets didn't really know what they were saying at some times and that they were serving us by what they were saying more than themselves. But John has the unique ability of his immediacy to Jesus to be able to be next to him and say to the world, behold the Lamb of God. He's more than a prophet. Now what's the next verse in our text? In Matthew 11, it's verse 11. It's right after that, that he's more than a prophet. He's the one who would prepare the way for Jesus. And then it says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there's not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Why? What is the point of comparison? The point of comparison is that John the Baptist lives in a point in history after all the Old Testament prophets who say, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. John the Baptist said, he's here. This is the Lamb of God. But John's in prison. And John, in about another month or so, is going to be executed and his head is going to be cut off in a grotesque display of crazy political malfeasance. And John dies in prison. What doesn't John see? He does not see the death of Jesus. He does not see the burial of Jesus. He does not see the resurrection of Jesus. He does not see the ascension of Jesus into 
heaven. He's the greatest till here, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. Why? Because you know Christ died and he rose again and he ascended into heaven. You have the privilege of seeing the full history which none of the Old Testament prophets had, which John had better but still didn't see at all and got confused and said, is this really it? And Jesus said, yes, it is. You're the greatest who ever lived. You introduced the world to me, the Messiah. And now the least in the kingdom is greater than you because we have the privilege of introducing Jesus to the world. You see that? Let me close with this. What makes us great in God's eyes? You think about our world today. What are the standards of greatness in our world? What makes the world say, oh, that's a great person? It's wealth, it's education, it's power, it's influence, it's a beauty, it's sexiness, whatever. You know, whoa, that's a great person. But we should stop for a moment and say, Jesus really said, this is how to measure greatness. Number one is our identity. Our identity. Our identity is our proximity to Jesus. That we are in a place in history where we know the whole story of the unfolding of the scriptures of what God did through Christ. We don't know it all yet. We don't know when he's coming and when the judgment will come with unquenchable fire, but we know all that he accomplished through his cross. And a Christ-centered knowledge of greatness is, I know who Jesus is. I know what he's done. I know he's my savior. I know who I am in relationship to him. And that's what I think Jesus is saying, what makes us greater in a sense, by some form of comparison to John the Baptist. Do you get that? John had the best ability to announce who Jesus was. And you and I have a greater ability because we know the fuller story that John did not know. The second thing that we might say measure what makes us great is our mission. And that is that if John's mission was to introduce Jesus to the world and the world to Jesus, that's our mission too today. We know what Jesus did and our mission that makes us great is to make disciples, to go into all the world to actually do what God asks us to do and to go into the world and make him known. And then thirdly, the last thing I would say is what makes us great in God's eyes is that we live by his playbook. We understand that the scriptures, which John didn't have, we now have the full summary of the scriptures so that we can know the full story of God. And we've got to study it We've got to study the scriptures and sort of search out what is the full truth of God's word. And I, I would admit as a preacher that no sermon that you're going to hear is going to change your life forever. Maybe you'll get a little change, but, but what will change your life forever is the steady diet of God's word in your life from this pulpit and from your study and you know his word. John knew the Old Testament. He knew the prophetic words that Jesus quoted, but he didn't have the New Testament. We all have both of them. 
And so what will give us a sense of security in the world, we know who we are with Jesus, we know he's given us a mission to explain, and we know we have the word of God that will help guide our lives. Does that make sense? Are there any questions? Listen, John is a hero, and he doubted. And Jesus said, blessed are you, John. Don't be offended. I say to you, you don't get it all yet? Don't be offended. You know the story. He died and rose again. He's ascended into heaven. He's coming again. The full measure of the kingdom is coming. Not yet. It's here, but not fully. Don't be offended. You're great in the kingdom because of what you know. Let's use it for God's glory. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that we will understand our place in the history of the world, that we exist here before you as your people who know what you have done in fuller measure than any of the prophets knew. We, we know more than John knew languishing in prison. And I pray that you'll help us just to live it out as your faithful witness in the world that we make you known as you are. You are the king, you're, you're the coming king. And we, we pray to make you known in the world today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.